Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. We're in a new series of messages uh, focused on the gospel according to Mark, and it's really highlighting the servanthood of Christ and how when Mark's recording the acts of Jesus and what Jesus does, and Mark did a lot of that, he always paired it with Jesus's servanthood. And so as we read through the gospel according to Mark, uh, we'll see a lot of activity, a lot of action, but we also see servanthood paired with that. And in this message, we're identifying the values of the servant, the values that Jesus held on to and lived out. So I wanna give uh, just big kudos to Mark Harris uh, for developing the study guide that goes along with this and the, the focal points of this series. Uh, if you have not yet accessed the study guide, it's available at our website, nhgj.org, and you can go to where the uh, Sunday messages are presented, and there's a link there for the study guide. You can also get it on site if you come by our offices uh, or one of our, one of our weekend services. Uh, you can pick up a study guide there each week for this time, and it allows you to go a little bit deeper into the study. So again, thank you, Mark, for putting that together for us. Um, so this idea that uh, Christ the servant and how his actions demonstrate his servanthood, it's a very important part of uh, what we see as we go through the book of Mark. Um, one of the uh, verses in the book of Mark that we would say is probably the, the key verse or the one that just kind of really pins down what Mark is trying to say through his recording of the gospel is Mark 10, 45. And that verse says this. It says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Really wraps up the idea of Christ the servant and, and the image that Mark wanted us to see uh, as he wrote his gospel. So it's this pattern of selfless service that becomes the model for us who would follow after Jesus. Uh, the, the beckoning, the call that we have is, yes, acts of, of, and demonstrations of the power of God, the kingdom of God, but they should always be coupled with acts of service and servanthood and, and a heart of a servant. Well, in this message, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at values and uh, we're gonna wrap up chapter one of Mark and then go into, enter into chapter two. We've got a large portion, portion of scripture we wanna look at, uh, but we're going to be looking at these values. And when I say values, we all have values. We live by certain values, uh, things that are important to us that we hold on to, but we tend to have preferred values and then real values, or another way to say that is uh, stated values, and, and then true or actionable values that we live by. Someone uh, may say, for example, that they value prayer. But if you don't ever take time for prayer in your life, that's not an actual value. That may be what you state, or I might say I value, but if I don't live it out, it's not a real value. It's just a stated value or preferred value. So our real values then are what we make time for in our lives to do. That's, what's make, that's what makes it real. Is it's those things that we actually set aside time 
to do in our life and to experience and live out in our lives. And so as we prepare to dive into uh, the rest of Mark chapter 1 and, and step into Mark chapter 2, we're going to be looking at Jesus's values. What, what values does a servant hold on to? And, and in doing so, what values should we hold on to as followers of Jesus? Uh, join with me in prayer as we prepare to, to look at, uh, once again, the book of Mark. Lord, we thank you for your word. We invite you to change us from the inside out. And Lord, in particular, as we look at this message, we pray that you would help us to deal honestly, truthfully, with where we're at in terms of what our values are in terms of if they're real or if we're simply just stating things. If we're taking action on our values or if they're just things that we believe but not really living out. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to do your work in opening up our eyes to ourselves, opening up our eyes to the world around us, and so that we can see clearly those two things. But maybe even more importantly, that you open up our eyes and our heart to your word and to what you want to accomplish in us so that then that can begin to change us and our world. Thank you for the word. We bless it. We thank you for giving it to us. And now may we receive it into our lives. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, it's a long uh, portion of scripture. And uh, so I invite you to, to join with me as uh, we, we look at this long passage out of the book of Mark. Beginning with Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and hired servants, uh, with the hired servants, and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. 
and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at, uh, he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made the opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves and said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they all were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by. When, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at, table in his, at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now I know this is a, a long portion of scripture. There's so much there, but I want to tie together some of these stories, these threads that Mark is giving to us throughout 
the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, just as, as we were reading. The main ideas, again, that we want to go back to is that Jesus is ushering the kingdom of God with great power, great power and great authority, but he's doing it as a servant. He's doing it as one who is serving and bringing in the kingdom of God. And as a servant, he's living out these values that a servant holds onto. And so as he lives out these active values, they're not just in his mind or in his heart, but he's actually living them out as he begins his ministry. They're real values instead of just stated values. The first ones that I want to identify and portion that we covered is that Jesus valued making disciples. Mark 1, 14 through 20. So everyone really needs something. As we think about uh, a purpose and a calling, every one of us needs a sense of what our purpose or our calling is. And, and Jesus did not, when he's calling and making disciples, he wasn't calling them just to an easy life. He wasn't inviting them just to experience prosperity or God's favor. He was calling them into a following of himself. It was this invitation for discipleship. He called them to a task in which they would have to spend their very lives upon. It's one in which they would have to pour out their lives. But in doing so, Jesus was willing to pour out his life into them as well. The scripture says that he saw Simon and Andrew, verse 16. It means that he looked at them. It wasn't just that he passed by and in his peripheral, he caught them. It means that he fixated, he saw them, he really took note of them. He made a judgment or a, a, a recognized that they were the ones that he was going to call. And he said, come and follow me, verse 17. He called them not to a life of ease, but of service. We're continually reminded that about the life of Jesus, that he calls us to daily take up our cross and to follow him. That he's not calling us to a life where he is adding to our comfort. No, he's calling us of a life to surrender ourselves, whatever it may look like. And he tells the disciples, he says, I will make you fishers of men. You know, it's unique that he says, I will make you. It's important that we catch that because it denotes, it communicates to us that they were not going to be fishers of men just because they knew how to fish for fish. <laughs> that to make them fishers of men, they were going to have to step into that role. They were going to have to learn it. It was going to be a process for them. It wasn't just going to be an identity. Boy, how important it is for you and I to understand that in this modern day, that being a disciple for Jesus, being a Christian is not a name or an identifier. It's not a badge that we wear. It is a lifestyle as a disciple that we are following after Jesus. So he said, I will make you a disciple. It's not a title, but it's going to be through effort and application of Jesus's teaching that they would become fishers of men. Their response, they left their nets and began to follow him. They left the old, what they were pursuing, their, their livelihood, to follow after him. Uh, they now pursue Jesus as the basis for what their life was about. Can I suggest to you that it's no different for you and I? That we may have jobs, we may have careers, we, we may have roles and titles, but all of that is, is in service to Jesus. All of it 
lays at the feet of Jesus and it supports our overall role as disciples who are following him. Just as they were fishermen who left their nets, so you and I, whatever else we are called to do or tasks we are doing, we leave it all behind, whether literally or simply figuratively, we leave it as secondary to following Jesus. Our pursuit and discipleship with him is what becomes primary. This idea of following underscores this idea of apprenticeship, that they were not just following him on hiking journeys, and they, they weren't just kind of uh, watching him do things, but they were actually learning from him so that they too could do what he did. It was really this apprenticeship idea. This is really, I want to camp on this for a moment because this is such an important piece for us. As I've considered the past 50 years in the church in America, this is probably one of the single most uh, biggest lapses in our walk with Christ in the church at large is our discipleship. Uh, It's primarily been in this area of discipleship that we have lost our connection to what Jesus has called us to. And you would say, how, how do I know this? How, how do I, uh, how, why would I say that? Well, if you think about the culture in America and what's needed most of all, and does it actually mirror the gospel and how connected are people to the church and Jesus Christ, I think many would say that we're separated. We, there's a disconnect from what God values and what the culture values. There's a disconnect from the church and its influence in the community around us. And the tendency might be to say, let's just put that on the culture. The culture is failing to recognize the value of the church. But I think if we do that, we've got it twisted a little bit. From our side of things, as a Christian, as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, if I'm effectively discipling those in the culture around me, it's going to begin to reflect the values of the kingdom of God. So if we look out and we say, I'm disappointed with what the, the culture looks like in America, what I'm saying to myself, what I'm saying to us as a church is, let's turn that disappointment not in the culture, but let's turn that disappointment into, we need to do a better job in discipleship. We need to be committed to apprenticing with Jesus and leading others in this path of discipleship. This idea of being disciples, Jesus, it was a disciple apprentice who then becomes a discipling servant. In our culture, unfortunately, it's often morphed into this observer who becomes a ministry expert supervisor. Do you catch the difference? A discipling servant versus one who becomes a ministry expert supervisor. So somebody who sits back and observes and then just criticizes or picks apart what isn't happening. No, Jesus never called anybody to be a ministry observing expert or supervisor. He called all of us to be apprentice disciplers, ones who follow him and disciple others. So let me put this out as a key point. Jesus values identifying, calling forth, and leading disciples who become disciple-making servants and our pattern of service should be the same as his.
So this is Jesus's value. He not only states it, but he lives it out. He values disciple making and he's calling for us if we're going to be servants in his kingdom to value disciple making. The second of Jesus's values as a servant uh, that we're going to highlight is that Jesus valued teaching. Chapter one, verses 21 through 28. So this idea that Jesus didn't just kind of randomly go on hiking trips uh, throughout the region. He had very intentional paths that he was taking and he had set times of teaching. And Jesus valued teaching as a vehicle or a way of communicating the kingdom of God. He was a rabbi that went from town to town and he had specific lessons that he wanted to communicate. He talked a lot about the kingdom of God and how it worked. Uh, he talked about how people could know God and, and how God had revealed himself. He talked about worship and what true worship looked like. He talked about how we can live in relationship with others. How do we overcome evil and what does it mean to live a godly life? And then he also talked about what it was that we could expect to come, what, what the kingdom of, like, uh, kingdom of God was going to be like and how it was going to unfold before us. And when he taught all of these lessons, the scripture says that he taught it with authority and certainty. In other words, he knew what he was talking about. He wasn't just hypothesizing. He wasn't just making big statements. He wasn't just making tweetable uh, quotes. Uh, he wasn't just putting out memes. <laughs> Jesus taught with authority and he spoke as an expert. The teachers of the law all quoted their experts from the past to strengthen their theories, but they demonstrated no life. And in doing so, they failed to show that they had any sense of authority for the things that they were teaching. And that's why people were so amazed at Jesus in contrast, because they said when Jesus came, he taught with authority. Jesus backed up his words with demonstrations of power. And so he had this true sense of mastery of what it was that he was talking about. There's a huge difference between talking about something you're familiar about and talking about something that you're only hypothesizing. I, I know firsthand, believe me, I worked for many years at a, a job where I did onboarding training for new employees. And so I would sit in a classroom with them and I would teach them all about the system and that they were computer system they were going to be working on and how to navigate through that and, and how to handle the call. And, and so I was able to speak to these new employees about something that they weren't really familiar with. I was okay in that territory, but you know, occasionally they would, after being on the job for a while, those employees would come back into the classroom and we would call it a refresher training and we would highlight areas where additional work would need to happen. Well, you can imagine that having not been in that role and they had been in that role, they knew some things now that I wasn't aware of. And in a way you could use the term exposed <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. They began to know more than I did and I, had this sense that I was no longer teaching with authority to these long-term employees. I was simply talking about things that were on paper or things I thought were to be true, but they would reveal to me things they knew to be true because they were now experienced with the system. Jesus, in his life, he taught with true authority. He knew the things to be true about the kingdom of God, whereas the teachers of the law 
the scribes, the Pharisees, they taught of things they thought about and hypothesized about. Jesus valued teaching, teaching that came from God. Jesus shared his life, not just his thoughts, another aspect of his teaching. He wasn't just an idea leader, but he was a life leader, an effective servants of God. If you and I are going to be effective in ministry and, and living out this life with Jesus, then we have to be living a transparent life, willing to share our experiences and the lessons that we've learned. We've all heard the saying, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. You know, that's even true in the kingdom of God. I have known many people over the years who have great biblical knowledge, but do you know that people really aren't all that interested in their Bible knowledge? You can find that in a lot of places, read a lot of books. What you can't find often is somebody who deeply cares and is willing to share their life and reveal what the kingdom looks like on a day-by-day basis. And this is what Jesus did, is he voluntarily offered his life and invited the disciples in so they could learn from him, not just his words, but through his actions as well. So here's uh, an idea, a a principle that I want to put forward about Jesus' values. In following Christ's example of servanthood, we should be working towards mastery of our faith and sharing with humility what we're discovering. We want to master, we want to grow towards it. We will never truly be masters in this life, but we should be working at it. We should be understanding the scriptures more and understanding our life in Christ more and more as time goes on. We should never be passive and satisfied with what we have, but like Christ, working at becoming true authorities in the kingdom of God and in the teaching that God provides to us. And we should also be living it with great humility and transparency, allowing others to learn from our victories and our failures so that they too can press on deeper in the kingdom. Well, this third value that I want to communicate uh, that Jesus held as a servant is that Jesus valued people. And we see this throughout the latter part, beginning in verse 29 and then also verses 40 uh, all the way into chapter 2. Jesus valued people. So Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. That's recorded here. And uh, it says that he, once he was made aware, he was made aware immediately as he entered the house and he healed her. He compassionately met the needs that were presented to him. He healed the leper, uh, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Of course, lepers had a, a terrible stigma at that time as being unclean, having to call out in advance that they were unclean so that people could know to keep a distance from them. And yet Jesus says he was filled with care, filled with compassion. Do you hear the word compassion there talks about this idea that it's a guttural feeling. It's not just a, I felt sorry for the person. No, it says Jesus deep within himself, he felt this this gut-wrenching feeling of sadness or or heartfelt love for this individual with with leprosy. Jesus was available in this, and the the leper said, if you will, you could heal me, and Jesus said, I will. He was willing to be touched emotionally. He was willing to reach out and touch the individual physically as well. He really involved himself in this healing process. He didn't do it at arm's length and just simply speak a word, though he could have done that, and he demonstrated that at other times. With the leper, the one who you would think, don't touch him, he's the one that Jesus cares for. And multiple times it's recorded in the Gospels that Jesus touched 
lepers, and he involved himself in their life. He also healed a paralytic and forgave his sins. That's in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so the religious, religious establishment that was there called it blasphemy because Jesus did both. He healed and he forgave his sins. But he was more concerned, instead of the appearance of what he was doing, he was more concerned that he was doing the Father's will. Jesus loved and valued people. And he demonstrates that over and over in the way that he meets the needs that people had. In the way that Jesus healed the paralytic, he comes down out of the ceiling. It's as though he's questioned by those around him as they would say, you have no right to forgive sins. That's not something that you're able to do. But I love that Jesus does that first and then he backs it up with, again, with his authority. He says, well, what's easier to say you're healed and walk or to forgive sins? But so that you know I can do both. He then tells the paralytic, rise up, take your mat and be healed. Everyone, it says, was amazed. Literally, they were beside themselves at this wonder, this miracle that had just occurred in front of their eyes. And in doing so, Jesus demonstrates over and over throughout the Gospel of Mark that he values people. He values people and he, he sees people. They're not overlooked by him. Not just people in general, though. This is the, the last point I want to make is Jesus values the unlovely. He values the outcast. This is chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. This is uh, going to Matthew, the tax collector, whom Jesus called in this portion of Scripture. You think about tax collectors. Jewish tax collectors were the most hated group among the Jews. They were considered traitors. They were such betrayers of their own people. They were working on behalf of the Romans, collecting taxes against their own uh, citizens, their fellow citizens. And so by calling Levi, Jesus was doing this act that was not popular at all. Nobody around him was going to pat Jesus on the back of saying, yeah, Levi's a good choice. Nobody would have said that. In fact, just the opposite. They would have grit their teeth and been so upset about Levi being the one that Jesus was selecting. If you think about Levi in modern age, we would all be saying Levi is not a patriot. Levi is so unpatriotic that he shouldn't be counted among the group at all. And that's how they felt about him as well. But Jesus loved the people that nobody else loved. Even his disciples, his new disciples at this point, they weren't too welcoming to Levi. But Jesus is making a point, isn't he? That there's nobody beyond God's reach. There's nobody who's so unlovable that who can't be included in the work of the kingdom. Jesus loved the people that nobody else loved and he served people nobody else wanted to serve. He was more concerned about obeying the Father than he was about the appearance and pleasing other people. Equal to Jesus' hatred of sin was his love for sinners, and he never confused the two, verse 17 of chapter 2. This is really hard for us to do. We tend to get it out of balance. We tend to overstate grace and not hate sin enough, or we hate sin so much that we begin to look at people with a tainted eye and, and we find it difficult to love them. 
We either show a righteous anger that drives people away or we move towards this uh, self-piety that we have that we can't love others or we fall to this mushy love that doesn't have any sense of righteousness about it. Jesus has an incredible ability, as we see in the Gospel of Mark, to both demonstrate great love for the unlovely and also righteousness in loving his Father and carrying out his will. This is true, and I want to just emphasize that Jesus had this great love for the unlovely. And it's part of his values, one of his values that he held so close that allowed him to be a servant is that there was nobody that he put beneath his feet. There was nobody that he placed ben- that was so far beneath him that he wouldn't serve and show love and care about. So in those last two points about Jesus loving and caring about people and even the unlovely, I want to highlight that in following Christ's example of servanthood, people are not the target of conversion but the object of love and transformation through Christ's servants. Hear that again. People are not the target of conversion, but they are the object of love and transformation through Christ's servants. Like Jesus, I can and I should. You can and you should, as a follower of Jesus, value, love, and care for people on the basis of their human value alone and not their moral performance. Boy, that's challenging, but it's so important because it's exactly what Jesus did. He loved people on the basis that they were humans in the image of God and not on the basis of their moral performance. If Jesus only loved and ministered to those who were morally good, we would all be in trouble. None of us would be worthy of receiving his love and his ministry, but instead he loves us even the unlovable, even the unlovely, he reaches out to us and he calls us to do the same. So let me recap the values that I highlighted that Jesus demonstrated for us. And again, they weren't just stated values. They weren't just things that he expressed or theorized. They were the values that he lived out. He not only said them, but he lived them out. And that's what I'm calling myself to. That's what I'm calling you to as well. Us and as a church, New Horizons, I believe that we can rise up to be these kinds of people. The servants' values. One, we value discipleship. Listen, join with me in in this conviction and and the Lord is working it deep within me. I need to be a better discipler. I need to be more convinced and live out that value. I don't need to just think about, oh yeah, discipleship's important. I need to be discipling people. If I want to see change in the church and the, the world around me, I can't talk about discipleship and we need more disciples. I need to be discipling. You and I, as followers of Jesus, need to be discipling people. We, we should have two or three people that we're regularly connecting with, those who we're calling into relationship with Christ, those who know Christ, we should be regularly in relationship with discipling because it's a value not just stated but lived. The second is we should have this value of teaching. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of us uh, go to seminary or that we have to be these in-depth scholars, but I would suggest that Jesus believes that you're a teacher. And because this is what he told us to do. He said, go and make disciples of all nation. And what did he tell us to do? Teach them 
to obey everything I have commanded you. So there's an element of teaching that Jesus commissions us to in the Great Commission, that we are to teach. You're not asked to teach things you don't know, or me, I can't teach things with authority, things that I don't know, but God has imparted things into your life that you have a conviction about. You know it from scripture and you know it with authority because you've lived it in your life. Teach that. Go and teach others as you disciple them. That's a value that Jesus had. Jesus valued people. Just he, he saw people and where they were at and what their needs were. And he met those needs with kingdom of God, life and power. And because he loved people, he recognized what was happening around him. He wasn't just going on hikes throughout Galilee and, and uh, the countryside. He was ministering to people and not just doing meetings. He cared about people. And as part of that people, and this is our last one, Jesus valued the unlovely. Those who were in the margins, those who weren't part of the crowd. He, he recognized Levi, unpatriotic, the person who the, the rest of the, the crowd around him would have cast out. Jesus looked for the marginalized. You think about the woman at the well who had had multiple husbands and he called out to them. Jesus looked to the immigrant. Remember, he talked about the Samaritan and highlighted how the Samaritan, the, the one who would be uh, most uh, despicable to the Jews, he lifted up the Samaritan as the great example of the person who loved the person in need, the, the person on the outside, not on the inside uh, of the group. Jesus was continually doing this, putting the unlovely in the place to be the hero of the story. And in doing so, he challenged us. Whenever you have a villain, watch out, because Jesus is about to make them the hero of your story and challenge your beliefs about who they are and if they're truly unlovely, because God loves them and cares about them. Would you join me in prayer? As we ask God to help us move these from just stated values to truly lived out values as we desire to be servants like Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your example that you lived all of this. Uh, these, these values were not hidden from us, but the reason that we can call them out and we can identify them is because you lived them out. And so we have no other agenda but your agenda. We have no other kingdom that we're serving than your kingdom. We have no other teachings that we need to prop up and, and promote except your teachings. Lord, would you just invite us and would we so readily respond to leave our nets, to leave our, our beloved uh, resources of identity, our beloved sources of power and strength, our beloved sources of uh, occupation and things that keep us busy? And would we follow you as you called the disciples? Lord, that doesn't mean you're asking us to quit our jobs. We recognize that. But you are asking us to let go of our attachments that would otherwise keep us from following you and pursuing you. So whatever those may be, would you highlight them, Holy Spirit, and lead us deeper in discipleship with you? Would you lead us to value teaching the way that you value it, that we would take time to teach others the things that you have taught to us? Would you help us to see people unlike we've ever, never seen them before? Would you open our eyes to those around us that you're calling us to serve and to love? And would you take the unlovely, the ones that we villainize, the ones that we make out to be the worst possible people in our surroundings, and we want to 
castigate them and marginalize them. Jesus, would you help us to see them the way that you see them? Would you soften our heart to the ones that we've hardened to, that we might love them and serve in the ways that you did? We love you, Lord. We love your word. And we love the life and the pathway that you've carved out for us. And we want to follow you in it to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.